You had bread for breakfast. You had bread for lunch. You had bread for dinner. You came home and you were hungry. You ate bread. We didn't get cookies. We didn't get stuff like that. You're, you're hungry? Bread. From Atlanta, it's Peach and Prosperity, a show picking the best local homegrown stories around town and sharing them with our city and beyond. I'm Julia Levy. I'm Jeff Levy. We're a dad and daughter duo who have been listening to podcasts and decided to create our own. There's more about our story at the end of this show, so keep listening. Today is about a baker who found his passion as a child took corporate America for a spin, but eventually found his roots again and has become one of the most popular bakers in Atlanta. Let's get started. Suburbans have music, we have the train. Just before 9 a.m. on Saturday morning at the Marietta Square Farmer's Market, the vendors are still setting up, but there's already a line of regulars queuing up at Old World Artisan Bread were tucked in plain brown paper bags, loaves of decadent European breads hide in plain sight. Olive ciabatta calamari olives, sun-dried tomato with the, the Tuscan. Then we have the apricot fennel today. That's an, another one, nice fruits and fennels, a good one. We have a Pugliese Italian peasant bread. It's French cousin Pana di Campania, which basically is a 15% whole wheat added for a different texture. The French tend to innovate like that. We have Pana Siciliano, it's like the durum wheat, it's kind of like the uh, flour they used to make pasta, but made into a nice Sicilian bread with sesame on top. Mushroom onion focaccia, it's always a crowd pleaser. And we have the chocolate croissants <clears throat> with the laminated doughs, nice powdered sugar on top, all handmade. He takes great care in that. Those are just a handful of the 60 breads that founder Thomas Sergio creates from scratch and brings to market. His passion for cooking began at a young age, thanks to the influence of his German and Italian family roots. Thomas was drawn towards the kitchen, but before he began baking, he had to master the basics. got my first hands on dough when I was 14 years old, and I was cooking since I was 10. When I was 10, at one time or another, I walked into the kitchen and asked my mom if I could help. And I don't remember exactly what she was making on that day, tomato sauce or meatloaf or whatever, I don't know. And um, she said, you sure about that? And I said, yeah. And so she handed me a knife and onions and showed me how to peel and slice an onion and chop an onion. And she said, go ahead, chop onions. And I started the hard way. Onions, cleaning carrots, peeling potatoes. So I did grunt work for a long time before she let me get my fingers on a pot. And um, the very, very first thing I ever cooked on the stove was chocolate pudding. You know, the kind you actually cook and stir with milk. That was the very, very first thing I ever cooked. As he grew up, his curiosity for cooking continued. And while most kids want to sleep in as teenagers, Thomas took his first job, waking up at a very early hour to do what else but bake. When I was 14 years old, um, I decided I wanted to have a summer job. And so I said to my mom, well, you know, I'd like to get a job for the summer. Didn't know what I was going to do, had no clue. And there was a bagel bakery, a solids bagel bakery in in Livingston, New Jersey, and they made handmade bagels. And I'm talking about really the old-fashioned way, you know, boiled bagels, really, Mm. I mean, the good stuff. 
And uh, they had a sign up, you know, when the school was over and you know, hiring for the summer. And so we shopped there anyway. And so I said, you know, mind if I asked Sal if, you know, if he would take me. And I was pretty tall for my age and, you know, big enough. And he said, uh, sure, no, I don't mind. Uh, you can learn this. He said, but uh, he said, how are you going to get here? And I said, well, I looked at my mom and she said, I'll drive him. He said, you're sure you can get him here at five o'clock in the morning? <laughs> she said, no problem. You know, I guess he was a little bit worried, like, can you get your kids out of bed? But he forgot the German-Italian part of the household and, like, the military dad, you know. It's like, getting up in the morning, no problem. And to this day, for me, sleeping late is 7.30. That's sleeping in. And that's when I'm not going to work. That's like Sunday morning, you know. That was my first job at 14, making bagels. And it's actually such a good thing to do. And there's really quite a demand, at least in New York, for that kind of work. When I was in college, that's what I did. I baked bagels. <laughs> I baked bagels during the semester in the evenings, one or two nights a week. And I, I baked bagels on the weekend. And I certainly baked bagels like crazy in the summer. From those early days in the bagel shop, Thomas pursued a career in business with stints working in Europe, where he traveled and sampled the best of Italy, France, and Germany. Eventually, he decided to return to the passion he discovered at a young age. You talk about um, baking at the beginning in your early years, and then we have a college and career and corporate world, and then you make this return and this switch back to baking. How's that transition been for you? How long has it been? Talk to us about that. Well, I've been doing this, what I do now, since 2009. I don't think I'd have continued doing it or expanded it unless it was a lot of fun. I'm not tortured with 300 emails in my inbox every day. The hours are determined by how long something needs to get done and when you need to have it done, certainly. But other than that, it's creative. It's very rewarding. As a creative, Thomas has flexed his creativity in and out of the kitchen with his recipes and branding. One of the biggest surprises was I wanted to make a bread with uh, fresh basil pesto in it. And so I just made it like, the way I thought it should be. And um, I was uh, had the dough in the mixer. And the dough is really like glow-in-the-dark green. And that's like, you know, with the fluorescent lights on. And so I said to myself, wow, this is really, that's what I actually thought. I said, this is like glow in the, you know, if you this think this dough would glow in the dark. And the glow in the dark brought an association of kryptonite, the stuff that Superman is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, allergic to. And so when I got to market the first Saturday and I had the bread, I sampled it, but I didn't call it pane al pesto which is, is its actual Italian name. And it is an actual Italian bread. It's not, you know, a figment of my imagination or something. And, uh, and, but I didn't call it that. I called it kryptonite, just as a joke. And I figured I'd just do it the first week to make it interesting. Well, it all sold out. And the next week, everybody came back. And I explained to them, you know, it's pane al pesto, and it's made with fresh basil pesto, and oh, what's in the pesto, and are the pine nuts in there, and all those details. And... And the next week they come back and what did they ask for? Kryptonite. Nobody asked for pesto bread. They just wanted kryptonite. So a year later, a year and a half later, it goes on the signboard as kryptonite. That's just <laughs> the customers. 
uh, baptized in kryptonite, and that's it. So just don't mess with it. You know. While he has been baking for all those years, Thomas has not been formally trained. He is self-taught in both the art and science of bread baking. So, Thomas, tell us a little bit about where do you get the ideas for your bread types? Well, there are two main sources for that. Um, one is just classic literature, and when I say classic literature, there are classic bread types, and there are the whole thing behind artisan bread baking are really classic French and Italian and, and German types of bread that have been made for literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and there are just rules for making this stuff, and if you haven't mastered the, the classics, you know, a baguette and um, uh, 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 a really wet dough and a ciabatta and, and several other classic types, um, you're, you're going to have difficulty doing other things. So, you know, you have to learn the, the fundamentals. And there are lots of sources for that and resources for that. Um, one of them uh, is a tome by Peter Reinhardt. He's considered the Pope of United States artisan bread baking. Cyril Hitz, he's a Swiss guy that works at Johnson & Wales Culinary School. Um, King Arthur is a pretty good source for certain things and techniques. Um, and that, by the way, that's whose flour I, pr I primarily use. But then... Also, uh, from the French Culinary Institute, there's really a Bible on the fundamentals of classic bread baking. And these, these books are not recipe books. They're, they're if, if you would think of them as college textbooks, and there's more information about what's in the flour and the components of flour and what each one of them contributes and how you handle them and how, when you do different things, you get different breads out. I mean... Put it in perspective, I probably have alone 10 or 12 different breads that are only made with four ingredients, flour, salt, water, yeast. And you could say, well, how many different breads can you make with flour, salt, water, yeast? Probably 100. And even with all his baking experience, he does have a favorite. For German bread, my absolute favorite is a, is a rye bread. And I'm a big fan of rye bread anyway. When I was a kid growing up, we, we only had, um, you know, white, white bread was bagels <laughs> mm -hmm. and sliced bread sliced sandwich bread was rye bread from the local bakery and my mom's German and my wife's German and so and I worked overseas for a long time and actually studied had the good fortune to study in my mom's hometown for a while and I got to know a very specific German rye bread from uh, and my mom's hometown is in the area of Bavaria called Franconia and that's called Franken in German. And uh, Frankenleib is a big round loaf of rye bread. Leib, L-A-I-B, is a, is a round loaf. And Stollen would be a longer loaf, like typical to breads that you would see here. And so I make uh, this Frankenleib, and it is absolutely delicious. It takes three days to make, and it's worth all the time. And it's just absolutely incredible. And it has... Great crust, fabulous flavor, and I'm just absolutely uh, enamored with it. So that's my favorite German bread. There's one family member who's had a major influence on him. Well, actually, when I think of bakers in my family, I just think of one, my mother-in-law. And my mother-in-law was the most fantastic baker. She made breads as well as sweet stuff, mostly cakes. I don't know if a dozen is enough of the kind of cookies she would make at Christmas, German Christmas cookies. 
but cakes and pies, at least also close to a dozen different ones, um, one better than the next. And um, breads, mostly uh, brioche type breads. So in German, what's called a Hefezopf is very similar to what we call here a challah, except it's more of a brioche dough, meaning it's made with milk and butter. And uh, so, but yeah, my mother-in-law was really an inspiration. Her, her and, and her consistency and her ability to do things, to just stand in the kitchen with her apron on and talk and listen to the radio at the same time and laugh and tell jokes and whip together the most amazing stuff, bake it in an oven that was probably 40 years old. <laughs> it just it absolutely fascinated me. It fascinated me. But it's just, she she knew that, she just knew how to do it. You know, she'd done it so many times she could do it in her sleep. His persistence has paid off as Thomas has built Old World Artisan Bread into a brand name in Atlanta. It's a European bread with a dose of Southern hospitality. We want to take a few minutes to tell you about this podcast and how it got started. I'm Julia. And I'm Jeff. We're a dad and daughter duo. Our podcast picks the most interesting local homegrown stories around Atlanta. We're peach and prosperity. So why peaches? As the official fruit of our home state of Georgia, the peach represents where our stories begin. But peaches symbolize much more than just fruit. They represent entrepreneurship, success, and strength, according to legends. In ancient China, peaches were the favorite fruit of emperors. The trees were believed to possess the most vitality and ward off evil spirits. We seek out stories with this peach spirit, founders who remain true to their southern hospitality roots. From conversations at our local farmer's market to discussions at tech events, our stories blossom from a curiosity to learn more about the people behind the brands. As a dad and daughter duo, we'll be telling these stories together. Growing up, dad introduced me and my dog sister to the radio. Unfortunately, the only early photo that remains is of the dog rocking out to likely Led Zeppelin and not public radio. While she was a very sophisticated dog, I was always ready with the equipment. While dad played NPR during car rides to soccer practice, I much preferred the local pop station music instead. Eventually, I grew up and realized what I was missing, becoming a podcast fan in New York City. After all, it helped me tune out the subway, and I learned something, too. When Julia moved back to Georgia, we began carpooling together to work, traffic, and all. To add value to our stressful commute, we agreed that podcasts would become our station of choice. Our favorite topic quickly became Founders Stories.
All life is peaches and cream as I fly away. Life is peaches and cream.